Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. I am Robert Kelly, one of the pastors here at the church, and I'm so glad that you are here. If uh, we haven't yet met, if you're a guest here this morning, a uh, special welcome to you. We are always delighted when we have guests, which we have every week, and uh, we're just uh, looking forward to a chance to get to know you better. If you have any questions about the church or anything like that, please do not hesitate uh, to uh, ask. I'd love to uh, tell you a little bit more about uh, kind of who we are. So we're in a series called It's Complicated. It's a series on relationships. And by way of review, last week we spoke about the importance of relationships, but also the difficulty of them and how challenging they can be, especially when we try to make our human relationships carry more weight than they were intended. What we mean by that is often we put human relationships at the center of our affections where only God ought to be. And when we put human relationships at the center of our affections, that's the, we, the Bible talks about that as idolatry. And when we do that to those relationships, it puts too much pressure on them. And they, they actually can't thrive and survive. And it becomes one of the big sources of conflict in our relationships. It's the idolatry of our human relationships. And only when we put God at the center of our affections will, in fact, the rest of the relationships fall into their rightful place. They still will bring us great joy and they have the potential uh, to do that, but they'll do it best when, they, when our relationships are rightly aligned. That was kind of the kickoff to the series. But now we get to talk about this, uh, more of the, the pragmatic parts of how we make our relationships better or worse. In fact, today we get to talk about a nursery rhyme. How profound, right? A nursery rhyme. So we, you all know it though. Sticks and stones. Yes, but words will never hurt me. So how many of you have heard this nursery rhyme before? A show of hands and keep those hands up. All right, so most everyone, no, hands keep them up. Most everyone, you've, you've heard about it. Now, if you believe that the nursery rhyme is true, Keep your hands up. Isn't that amazing? That most everyone knows that our parents lied to us. <laughs> I mean, isn't that a horrible reality? Your teachers, your parents, all those cute little books with the nursery rhyme pictures on them, they lied to us because everyone with even just the slightest bit of reflection knows that physical wounds will often heal more quickly than our emotional ones. This points to the power of the tongue. The tongue is such a fascinating little thing. I mean, it is so tiny by most standards, right? It's so tiny as a part of your body, unless you're like a rock star. I don't know how that happens, but like <laughs> that kind of just gets weird. Like you have to like get a, get a 
test, tongue test before he can start getting a contract or something. But anyway, most of us recognize it is tiny in comparison. I mean, what trouble can that little thing get us into? I mean, come on. It's just this tiny little thing. I mean, what are we even supposed to be doing with that thing? What are the purpose of our words? Is it just to fill space? Is it simply to get ahead in the world? You know, think about the multitude of words. I mean, we talk to the TV, often yelling at it, but we talk to the TV or we talk to the dog or a stranger on the train. You know, we, we're just shooting the breeze with old friends and new friends about the weather or about politics. We're just talking all the time. We talk about what we ate for lunch. While at lunch, we will often talk about what we're going to have for dinner because we just talk. That's what we have to do. It's time to talk. I mean, we even talk to ourselves, right? I mean, how many talk to ourselves, right? Don't leave me hanging, because I know I'm not the only one who, you know, you just talk to ourselves. We do this, because words just have to fill the space. It's easy, because of this, to think that our words are trivial, that they're unimportant. In a book uh, by uh, Lane and Tripp called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making, they said, the words just don't seem to carry enough freight. They seem too ordinary. Perhaps this is because we think communication is ordinary, because our communication largely takes place in the inconsequential moments of everyday life. It's easy to underestimate its significance. The moments are rare that what we say will literally be life-changing. Words seem so ordinary. But we must never believe that lie. We must never believe that lie because words are unbelievably powerful. You guys, we're all watching the news, right? So we have, we have Trump and Kim going at it with this war of words, right? They're all just sort of arguing. They're going back and forth. This little machismo thing going on. And we're all, the world's standing by going, damn, what's happening here? Like, what in the world? Why do, we, why do we get panicked? Because we're, like, we're thinking these words are going to end in a fiery ball of destruction. Because we understand words lead somewhere. Words have power. Consider Karl Marx, a man, Friar uh, Mitch Pakwa. He was reflecting on Marx, and he said he inspired the communist governments of the 20th century who killed more than 150 million of their own citizens, including millions of Christians. Marx's wicked words concealed some of the most horrendous of violence in history. His words had an extremely wide influence on modern history. The rest of us can learn from that extreme. When our words are wicked, emerging from ill will and selfishness, they're capable of releasing evil effects we cannot anticipate or control. See, the words get out, but where they end, no one actually can control. They can just keep on going for generations. Those words can have an impact. Words are so important in our relationships. Never has there been a good relationship without good communication. And never has there been a bad one that didn't get there, at least in part, because of the words we speak. I mean, our words are anything but ordinary. If only we had better control over our words. If only we were able to 
check them before they did their damage. It seems like we can't control the words themselves and we certainly can't control the effect that they have. Can you imagine gathering up all of the stray or hurtful or ill-informed or poorly timed words that you spoke over the last few weeks? Imagine that they were gathered up in a video and played right here in front of everyone. I mean, that would be embarrassing. Thank God that video does not exist. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Robert, I have a theological question for you. Go ahead. Be everything I've been studying about PTSD, the research doesn't match up with something that I've recently heard theologically. It's too many words. You just cut to the cut to the chase. Take it too long. All of the weeds. Weed, 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 weed. I want them all out. Let's go. Okay. So I'm walking through Trevor's office. It is a complete mess. It's a disaster. I mean, it's like these creatives, they don't think they have to like keep their office clean. It's okay to put your book back on the shelf. That's exactly what I'm saying. He's frustrated with it. And we just gotta get these things done. Is there any difference between Pantone 228 and 229? No, They're nothing exactly at all. The same. He, he is so flaky. It's, it's hard to get anything. All right. Hey, Trevor, you have a second? Uh, yeah. Sure. Hey, you wanna sit? Uh, Sorry, my office is such a mess. No, no, it's fine. It's not a mess at all. Uh, I only have a sack. I have to be with Chris in like two minutes. And you know, I can't be late. Oh, I know. He is so wound up tight about the clock. You're, you're, you're not kidding me. I mean, it, it's his time so precious. Right? The rest of us need to like bend to his right? schedule. Like, right? It's like if you're 30, five minutes uh, early, you're late. As if like 30 seconds shaved off his life is going to, you know, be no, so. No, 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 Absolutely, I have been on hold. If you put me on hold one more time, I am going to rip out my eyes and leave them on this desk. Hey, Han. Hey, Han. Yeah? Could you come here and look at me for a minute? What? Does this outfit make me look fat? Yeah, a little bit. I wish all of those were truly made up. <laughs> we understand how words affect the people around us, but rarely in time. You know, maybe in your marriage, you can't figure out when to keep your mouth shut. It just doesn't seem possible. Or when it's time to talk, when it's time to actually bring that word that your spouse needs to hear. Happens all the time. Or maybe, you know, you're hanging out with a friend and they just suddenly break down. They're pouring out their heart to you, right? And they're just, they're laying their soul bare. And you're just scrambling. You got nothing to offer them. There's nothing. You, you, know what, you know they need something, but you're not able to give them the something that they need. How many parents here would admit in honest moments how disappointed we are with the way we talk to our kids. If we would do an honest conversation about it. I mean, how I've, I, I haven't yet met a parent when, when talking honestly about it does not say, I, have, I regret so many things I said. 
I wish I could take them back, and I can't. It's hard to admit it, but it is true. Words are powerful. They're hard to control, and they can destroy relationships. This is what God's word tells us. If you could open in a Bible to Proverbs 26, starting in verse 18. There are so many harmful ways that we use our words to destroy relationships. And the book of Proverbs offers us a whole long list in a bunch of different places about the harmful ways that we use our words. And how often these words will tear things down. Proverbs 26, starting in verse 18. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. I mean, think about that image for just a minute, right? So he's about to list all of these ways that we use our language. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. Got to keep kind of, you know, he's using this picture for a reason. He wants to drive home to us an image that sticks with us. And so keep that in your mind as you kind of read through this whole long list now. In verse 19, is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Like a coating of silver dross on earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but in their hearts they harbor deceit. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them, for seven abominations fill their hearts. Their malice may be concealed by deception, but their wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. I mean, he's given us this whole bunch of these clearly negative examples, but he's also showing us a bunch that... Uh, that masquerade as positive, but are actually still destructive. Because all of these things do damage. You know, you might be an argumentative kind of a person. The scriptures talk about this all the time. Maybe you don't even want to be. I mean, some people, they sort of want to be argumentative. It's like their thing. But maybe you don't want to be argumentative. Maybe you just get home from a long day of work and you're tired. Maybe you have been beaten up all day. And you've got nothing left in your emotional tank. And the arguments just start. The bickering just happens. I mean, how much marital discord is caused by us just being argumentative, looking for a quarrel, feeding the strife. This is the memory verse that I was taught many, many years ago, Proverbs 21, 19. Better to live in a desert with uh, than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Men, you can write that down. I assure you, when you bust this out in the middle of an argument, it always works wonders. <laughs> this has worked so well for me so many times. Uh, you can just bust it right out as a memory verse and see how that goes. It is wearisome when we are dealing with argumentative people. And yet, so often, we bring that to the table. Or think of flattery. Flattery is this desire we have to manipulate someone. 
to make them do what we want them to do for some sort of selfish end. It's just one more sliver of this lying, destructive tongue. Or deception, straight out lying. Lying to your clients because you got a quota. Lying about, you know, what you accomplished so your boss thinks better about you and all of this kind of stuff. Bragging and boasting. The scriptures talk about this. Being a braggart, being prideful and arrogant and letting that boastfulness sort of come out of you. Cursing, using profanity, tearing down our kids with insults. Gossip or slander. It is always surprising to me how often gossip ends up in the sin lists in the scriptures. It's constant. It's all over the place. So there was a, a, a priest and a rabbi and a pastor. And they were going into, <laughs> and they were, the, the three of them were part of this like local clergy ecumenical kind of a thing. And they were all in this meeting together. And the priest says, you know what? You know, we've known each other for years. He says, but, you know, we don't really know each other. You know, so I feel like we should get to know each other and confession is good for the soul. I think we should each share our a deep, dark secret, like a secret, a secret sin. And they all kind of look at each other like, I don't really know. And he's like, this would be good. This will be good for us. And so the, the priest says, I'll go first. And so they go, all right, great. So the priest, he goes first and he says, actually, my sin is greed. I, um, I see occasionally something that's really kind of fancy and nice that I really shouldn't have, but I really want it. And I actually occasionally steal some money from the poor box to get it. The other two are shocked. They're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. That's, oh, wow, un unbelievable. And then, so then the rabbi says, well, I guess, you know, I, I should go then. And he says, if, if I were to kind of explain my, you know, own my one sin, I would say it's drunkenness. Because once a year, I go on this, like, two or three or four-day bender where I'm just completely, like, just, I'm sloshed out of my mind. My family has to like hide it so nobody finds out and I don't lose my, you know, my, my synagogue. And, and so he goes, that would be my sin. And the other two are really surprised because it doesn't seem like he's that kind of a guy. And they turn to the pastor and he is just positively vibrating in his seat. And they're like, so what's your sin? And he goes, well, if I were to name my sin, it would be, it would be gossip. And I can't wait to get out of this meeting. <laughs> the gossip. How often we listen to students or teenagers. They can be so brutal when talking about other kids. Just so brutal. Our, principal, our vice principal tells us that much of what they do in the schools is manage bullying in, the, in and outside of the classroom. All through, you know, social media and other things. Where do they learn this from? Are they getting that just out of nowhere? Or are they hearing it from us? Are they learning these things from us? Criticism, another type of speech. How many people, how many spouses, how many friends or employees have been, been grind down in a, to a fine powder through a constant flood of criticism? I mean, this is how damaging, how dangerous our words can be. I remember uh, some years ago now, uh, Joel's my oldest son, he's much older now, but for some years we had a really tough patch where we were just arguing and fighting all the time. And, uh, you know, this meant like pretty much nearly daily yelling uh, matches. And so here I am yelling at my, my son. And one day he just calls me out and he says, why are you always yelling at me? 
Of course, in that moment, I said, I am not always yelling at you. I only yell because you're disrespectful. If you weren't disrespectful, I wouldn't yell. That's how you could stop me from yelling. And I went in this whole stupid tirade about like how I'm not the adult. And, um, <laughs> and, and, so, uh, and so later on, I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? He's right. Like, this is what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm just yelling at him all the time now. Like, I have no other tools in my parental toolbox except to yell at him. And so, you know, I went back down later, and I wish I could tell you, I, I mean, I did apologize, and I told him I was wrong. I wish I could tell you that was the last time that I had ever, like, raised my voice or yelled or anything like that. It's not, I, that would be another form of just, well, that would be lying. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, that's what happens, right? And so you look at these things, and we, we look at these, and we realize that we're like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. That's what we are, a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. And words can destroy us. And they can ruin our relationships. And they can haunt us our entire lives. Not just the words that other people have said to us, but the words that we've said to other people. When we're the maniac, they can haunt us for the rest of our lives. But words also build up. You have to think through why we have words. We, God was a God who spoke. In the very beginning of the Bible, God said. That's what we get. God said, and then he gave us the ability to speak. And in doing that, he gave us the ability to represent his power and his interests in the world. Our words are not our own. When we speak, we were meant to speak his words into this world. So words are not ordinary. They're, they're like nearly mystical containers. And they, they hold the power to tear down or to build up. And they belong to him. That's how it was meant to be. They were, they, they were meant to belong to him and to be used by us for the good of his kingdom. I think we make a terrible mistake when we believe that our words are our own. It was never designed that way. They're not our own. They're a gift from God to be used for his glory and his mission. The scriptures give us so many powerful examples. Proverbs 12. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Who wants to bring healing to the people around you? Wouldn't you feel privileged and honored to be a person who gets to heal people with your words? Words nourish in Proverbs 10. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for a lack of sense. Or Proverbs 15, the soothing tongue is a tree of life. The tree of life. Remember the one that was found in the Garden of Eden that gave you eternal life and then the one that was found in the book of Revelation that, that will heal, bring health and restoration to all of the nations? That, 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 this is the tree of life he's talking about. And he uses that imagery to talk about our tongue. It's like a tree of life. Words cheer us, Proverbs 12, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Words delight us. Proverbs 16, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. How many of us would benefit from some sweetness of soul, from having a little honey dripped in our souls? See, in the right hands or in the right mouths, words can build people up like nothing else. And words can make our relationships amazing. Just think about how powerful 
Words like I love you are. They can change the course of your whole life. You might hear them and it might change everything about your future if it's the right person. Or how about words like forgive me or I'm sorry or I was wrong. How we've often longed to hear those words. Or how about hearing I'm so proud of you. What would that have done for many of us when we were growing up? What would it do for the kids around you now? The kids in the neighborhood, for your, for your nieces and for your nephews. What would it do for your spouse? I'm so proud of you. Words are one of the main ways that we share Christ's love. They bring comfort and peace to people who are struggling with anxiety or with sin. They help people make sense out of their lives when they're faced with tragedies, when they're suffering, when there's catastrophe, words can help them understand what is going on. I want you to turn to the person behind you or in front of you, not to the person sitting next to you because you came with them and you know them more than likely. (laughs) The person behind you or in front of you, and I want you to tell them, you are an incredible person loved by God. Go ahead and do that. Behind you or in front of you. You are an incredible person. Loved by God. I mean, doesn't that feel good? And you're like, this is so artificial. I don't even know this guy behind me. He probably would never actually say that. He doesn't know anything, but it still feels good. And this is the, we should, you're, some of you are like, can we just do that the rest of the time we have together? Can we just go around and have all of the strangers tell me, you know? Words are powerful. So let me ask you, are you sure you are using your words the way God intended you to? Are you sure? Or do you sometimes feel like maybe you're losing control of it? You know, the Bible says that you'll be judged for every stray word you speak. Everyone, God's sitting up there in the big old fat book. He's jotting down all of the stray and destructive and hurtful and meaningless words that we speak, which of course means my book is like, twice as fat as most of your books because I talk a lot. My wife says I'm an Olympic talker. And you know, God's like, he's got to use one of those machines or something because it's just so many stray words. But here's the problem. It's not just that it's difficult to control our words. It's difficult not because we have a word problem or a tongue problem. It's difficult because we have a heart problem. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And we need Jesus to deal with heart problems. We have to turn to Jesus and we have to ask him for a new heart, that he takes the heart of stone and he makes it a heart of flesh. And that's what it means to be a Christian, to turn to Christ and to surrender to him. Ask him for the new heart. And that new heart will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And why wouldn't we want that? Why are you still resisting him? Why would you not want to just surrender your life to him and say, Lord, take it over and do the work that you want to do in me. And when we do that, we learn that forgiveness is available in Jesus for all of the harsh words we've spoken. Forgiveness is available for all of the missed opportunities where we should have spoken and we didn't. And there's power now available to break these destructive patterns of speech because the one who never lied, Jesus, 
took the punishment that those of us who are liars every day deserve. And the one who had no deceit found on his tongue. He died for the deceivers. The most humble man who ever lived died for the braggarts and the boastful. You know, we use our words and we divide people. The one who was called the word of God, Jesus, he reconciled us. He doesn't divide us. He brings us back to God because he died for us. You know, we think about all the ways we use our words, and we don't need to lie in order to get the approval of other people. You already have the approval of Jesus if you're his follower. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you don't need to be slanderous and, and gossipy to build yourself up. You don't need to do any of that. Because Jesus says you're already seated with him in the heavenly realms. You don't have to compare yourself to others and tear them down and build yourself up. You don't need to do that. You're free from all of these things. And with that, you can then become a genuine healer with your words. You can build up rather than tear down. There's a powerful proverb, Proverbs 15. He says, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word. You see, you can have a good and timely and apt word. Proverbs 20, he says, the, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Can you be that person? Can you see into another person's situation? Can we build people up in the way that God has directed and Jesus has redeemed and the Holy Spirit has empowered us to do. I know you can and I know that I can because that's the promise of the scriptures and every day presents countless opportunities to shape your relationships all around you and to build people up. Every single day we get to tell people what God thinks about them and how much he loves them and how we feel about them. And we get to encourage their worth and their value in the world from an abundance of what Christ has already done for us. And these, ha these moments, they happen all around us every day. They happen when you're grabbing a cup of coffee or when you're getting ready for your day, you're at the breakfast table or you're at the, at the water cooler at the office through email or texting. Maybe when you're driving along as a family or with your friends in the car, you're having dessert at the gelato shop. See, it's the moments between the moments where all of this takes place. It's in those moments where you get to build people up in all of the ordinariness of life. In all of those ordinary moments, extraordinary words can bring life. It's not just about taming the tongue. Our words build up. It's about unleashing the tongue as well. You tame it, yes, but to unleash it in the world is what God desires for us. You can invite Jesus to come into your heart so that your words are more and more like his words. And every day you get to offer your words up to God to be used by him for his kingdom, for his great work. And every day you get to ask the Holy Spirit to help you see 
into the souls of people all around you and you can enter into their hurt and into their heartache and into their needs. And you can ask Jesus to give you that good word, that apt word that they need. And you can imagine the power of a group of Christ followers and what it would be like if all of us here committed ourselves to knowing and avoiding the harm that our words can do what our stray words do and instead commit ourselves to the healing power that comes from a sanctified word. That is our hope and our prayer. I'm going to ask the band to come up. They're going to lead us in uh, another couple of songs and they're going to bring us into uh, the Lord's table. And I want us to use this time to reflect on what we've been talking about here, the power of these words in our lives and what we desire and the kinds of people we want to be. But as they get ready, I just want to, I just want to say a prayer for us. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I'm asking that you would use even this time now, bring the, the power of conviction into our souls, Lord. Help us to see the many ways that our stray words, that our hurtful words have torn things down rather than built them up. I pray, Lord, that we would see ourselves for who we really are, that we would see ourselves as you see us, and that that, Lord, would cause us to run to you, to run to the cross for forgiveness. We're praying, Lord, that you would do this so that you become the center of our affections and the source of our power. We're asking, Lord, that you would do this even here and now as we sing these songs and as we go to the Lord's table praying that you would meet us here, heal us, make us these kinds of people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.